Uh, welcome back to another edition of the Boilers Extra Podcast on this uh, Wednesday, uh, May the 4th, as uh, we'll recap uh, the NFL draft, what it means for Purdue and George Karloftis and David Bell and Xander Horvath. We'll touch on uh, all the conferences and college athletics, all the Power Five conferences, that is, are in Arizona this week holding some spring meetings, uh, mainly with football coaches. Um, I, decisions on, on what's going to be, you know, what decisions are going to be made at this thing is unclear, but there'll be obviously a lot of talk about the hot button topics, uh, facing college athletics. And then, uh, we'll touch on kind of where things stand, uh, with uh, Purdue basketball as far as trying to land a, a transfer portal. A player, uh, there's some, some players in the mix. Um, and you know, I know this has gone on a long time, but you know, some of this is just the process that is, uh, facing Purdue after, you know, they thought, you know, they had a good shot at Nigel Pack and then the whole NIL thing blew up and, uh, he ended up at Miami. Uh, so first with the NFL draft, um, Good for George to go into first round. Uh, that's where he was, you know, pretty much slotted uh, for the longest time uh, in in, a, in the minds of a lot of scouts. And it's all of a matter of making sure you get the right fit with the team. The team needs, you know, somebody like George at on at the edge, and it just lines up. And that's how. You know, basically that's how these things line, you know, go. I mean, that's, it, it lines up that way where Kansas City had two first round picks. Um, it sounded like they were hoping to use one of them on George. Uh, you know, after talking with Jeff Brom on Saturday, Kansas City, uh, did probably the most thorough job as far as, you know, talking with Purdue coaches, talking with Jeff Brom about George and all the things that make him tick and, you know, all the, all the benefits there. And, um, it just, it seems like a good fit from the outside. Um, you know, George is passionate enough and he's, he's going to put in the work. He's going to, he's going to do everything in his power to, to get on the field as early as possible and stay on the field as much as possible. Uh, and also understand that, uh, what, what's needed from him, uh, as well. So, you know, it's, he's, he's an amazing story from, as you know, where he started in Greece to not playing football for a long time. And that's, that's the beauty about, uh, about George is there's so much upside there because he hasn't been playing football for a long time. Like, you know, what's, you'd be curious to, to find out of the, all the 32 first round picks, what's the average time that they've, played football in their career did that started peewee league did it start uh in junior high middle school did it start in high school um you know george is probably still the the exception there where um he didn't get in into it until late and still didn't understand everything about it but learned it worked hard um you know and he's he's got some freakish athletic ability uh, that helped but, you know, once he got comfortable and familiar, you know, a lot of credit goes to his high school coaches, you know, Shane Fry, the head coach at West Lafayette and his staff for bringing George along 
and then of course uh the numerous coaches at Purdue and he had you know he had a bunch of you know different defensive line coaches at Purdue but I think Mark Hagan uh probably um brought the best out of George um uh, and he got him a little bit into the he got him into the process he didn't get him as a, as a freshman but he got him as he was you know polishing his skills but you know I think Hagan really really brought George's, you know, the fundamentals and, uh, all the, all that kind of stuff to the surface. And although, you know, as you know, he didn't put up great numbers, but when you're double and triple teamed, you're not going to put up great numbers. But, you know, look at the impact he had on the games, on the quarterback, uh, you know, put on the film and you'll see that he was a just disruptive force this past year. And he's been a, been a disruptive force, you know, when he's been in the game for Purdue and, um, good for him that he, he got a first round selection. It happened late, but you know, he's with a contender. Uh, you know, he's not, he's not going to be, uh, you know, trying to work, you know, or be on a team that's just fighting to make the playoffs, which, you know, they all do, but you know, Kansas City is more ready made to win than a lot of other teams that he could have gone to. Um, you know, he's with a terrific quarterback with a terrific offense. Um, and then when you, uh, see some of the pieces that Kansas City drafted on defense. You know, they, they're probably going to become a force, uh, even a greater force uh, on that side of the ball throughout the, uh, the coming years, uh, which will make Patrick Mahomes that much better. Uh, you know, with David Bell, uh, he was taken 99th overall, which is still a really good accomplishment, but, you know, there's no doubt that his, his, uh, Unimpressive 40 time in the eyes of scouts, um, and general managers, you know, dropped him into the, into the third round. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, but he'll, he will be a productive player in the NFL. He just, he just will be. And, you know, those that have watched Purdue play these last three years with him on the field, you don't know, understand that. He's going to make plays. He's not going to run by a bunch of people. But he's going to make plays in the red zone. He's going to make plays on third down. He's going to make plays on short yardage and short yardage. So he's he's going to do a lot of good things. And you know the key for Cleveland is just not not to ask him to run a forty yard route to to, to run by the, the the secondary. You know, do you know play to his strengths, which they'll all do. And uh, and he'll have a productive career as well. And he's going to catch the ball. You're going to throw it in the air, and he's going to catch it. Uh, you know, the one overlooked area I think that David brings is just his, his strength. You know, his hands are extremely strong. Uh, his upper body is strong and his lower body is strong. He's just a strong, uh, athlete. I was on a, uh, podcast today with someone in Cleveland talking about it and he was, you know, he, 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 he grouped David Bell into, well, he's not, he's not athletic or he's not athletic enough type of thing and that's why he, he dropped. Well, David Bell is athletic. He is an, he is as athletic as about everybody, anybody out there, but the, the, his issue is, is imagine he just didn't run, run the 40 time that everybody wanted him to run. And that's why he ended up in the third round. I mean, he has, he, he, he didn't have first round speed, but he had, he has first round talent. He has, he has a first round skill set. So, there's a lot of guys in the NFL that are not Blazers, that have long productive careers, that can make catches. I mean, who do you want? Do you want somebody that runs fast but has a lot of drops, or somebody that's 
a, a tick slower but makes plays. I'll take the guy that makes plays. And, um, you know, David probably will, will run in the slot a lot uh, with Cleveland eventually. That's how they, they kind of envision him. And, um, again, I, I just think he'll have a productive career. Um, you know, as their general manager said, his skill set plays well in the NFL. And I think um, whether it's with Cleveland or somebody else down the line, um, you know, a lot of this, though, is continued on who's, who's throwing the passes to him, you know, what the quarterback situation is there at Cleveland, and that's a little bit up in the air right now. Uh, but, you know, I think, you know, I think when it's all said and done, uh, you know, there'll be there'll be uh, teams that'll uh, be kicking themselves that they didn't take David Bell a little bit earlier uh, in the draft. I, you know, I never thought he was a first round guy, but you know, you, you might he, he he potentially could have snuck into the second round. But I I do think that forty time, you know, scared scared people off. And you know, you how you justify your decisions in in those situations is well, why did you take? Why did you take a guy that uh, that ran a four or five when you could have taken this guy that ran a four two? Um, so you know if you, if you're making your picks based on the numbers and the data like that, then that's your formula. Then go for it. You know that's what you should do. But um, you shouldn't you shouldn't completely close your mind off to uh, just because someone doesn't run the standard forty time that you want them to run. Uh, but again, he'll he'll make the plays. He'll he'll enjoy a really good NFL career and uh, good for him. And then Xander Horvath getting drafted in the seventh round. Um, you know the Chargers is that the best place for him? You know we'll see. You know as you get later in the draft like that, a lot of guys don't want to get drafted because they uh, would prefer to pick their own team as an undrafted free agent because there's a, a better opportunity. I remember you know talking with uh, David Blau after. You know, he he went undrafted, but signed with Cleveland as an undrafted free agent at the time. You know, that was the best spot for him because of their quarterback situation. But if he was drafted, you know, late in the seventh round, then he would have, you know, who knows what team potentially could have taken him. But then you you kind of lose control. But after the draft was over. You know, as they were going through the draft and leading up to the draft, they had earmarked Cleveland as a team that they um, that had some holes at the quarterback position, and they felt that was the the best best place for them. Uh, so you, you lose a little bit of your freedom when you're drafted, but it's still an accomplishment to say that you were you were drafted. You're one of you know 260 some players that were taken in the draft out of. How, however many. Um, so uh, it's it's an accomplishment to get drafted. I think it's a compliment to to Sander. You know what he's done at Purdue, not only as a running back, but his ability to play on special teams and to be um, versatile in what he does. He can play fullback. He can play running back. Uh, he, he's proven he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Um, and then you have uh, special teams play there. Where you're going to get a, a very strong athletic guy that, that can do a lot of things, and um, you know the goal now is you got to make the roster, you got to make you know the team, um, and you know he just he, he gives a coach and a general manager a lot of options there, where there might be other players who can't do as many things that he can do. So um, 
you know, look, he'll have a good chance of sticking with the club, but, you know, you still have to go out and prove it. You still have to go out and do it. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he proved himself at Purdue coming in as a walk-on, coming in as a running back. Uh, as you know, Indiana wanted him to play linebacker, but he wanted to play running back. Purdue gave him that chance and he blossomed into, uh, one of their, one of their better running backs over the last several years. And it's unfortunate he got hurt last year, missed, missed some games. Uh, but when he came back, uh, you know, he was, he was very productive, um, and, you know, put himself in the, in the right position. And obviously he has, you know, he, he did the combine things really well at pro day and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I think the Chargers really liked him and coveted him. It, it was, it was probably a situation too where, there were other clubs that were hoping that he wouldn't get drafted and they could sign him as a undrafted free agent. But, you know, he's, he's with the Chargers now and we'll see what happens with him as things get going. Uh, I wanted to touch on, uh, kind of some Big Ten football stuff uh, as the, you know, the time of year that they're, uh, they have their spring meetings down in Arizona. Uh, the Power Five conferences and football coaches get together, um, and talk about the world. Uh, of college athletics and what, what's going to happen now. And obviously there's a lot of hot button topics going on with uh, name, image and likeness, which I, I wish we wouldn't call it it anymore because it's not that it's, it has turned into pay for play. Um, and that's what it is. Um, name, image and likeness applies when you get on campus, when you, when you're on, when you're on the campus, when you're in the program is when you go out and do the autographs and the personal appearances and so on and so forth. Um, inducing somebody to come to your program is pay for play. Uh, and that's been happening for years. It's been under the table. It's was illegal then. It's still legal now, but, um, you know, but there are no, there are no rules. Uh, and we probably won't have rules. And even if they have rules, they're not going to be enforced. Um, and we're not going backward. Uh, but that's, that's for a different time. You know, one of the issues, and, you know, I wrote about this probably back in March, one of the issues facing the Big Ten at, at these meetings and a topic of discussion is, you know, two things. Number one, divisions. How much longer will the Big Ten have divisions? I, you know, a lot of conferences want to scrap the division format and just go to one division and take the top two teams, regardless of who they are, uh, and, and go that way. Um, you know, I, I think the Big Ten eventually probably will get there. Uh, I don't know how soon they will get there. Um, you know, there is a, you know, in any division setup, there's going to be an imbalance. You just don't have two balanced divisions. Um, you know, depending on how you, how you break them up, you know, most go the, you know, ge- geographic route, west, east, north, south, whatever it is. And that's just, that's just how, how it is. And, you know, no question the East is stronger than the West. When you go, you know, they're, they're more top heavy than the West. Um, but, you know, the West, West is caught up a little bit. They haven't, you know, they haven't done it on the field, uh, in the championship game setting, but they have caught up a little bit. But I, I could see the push to, to doing it this way. How that would affect Purdue. I don't think that would be necessarily a positive for Purdue. Um, from from that standpoint, because you know you you would you would not get the the uh, the six games guaranteed every year against the teams from the West, teams that you feel like you match up well with, 
on a, on a day. And that's how you've kind of designed your roster, designed your team. That has been your focus because to, to win the West, you have to beat Wisconsin. You have to beat Minnesota. You have to beat Iowa. You know, Purdue's done a good job of beating Iowa, but they haven't done a good job of beating Wisconsin and Minnesota. And that's, and they've, they've been in position uh, a few times to, you know, to make a push towards the West title, but can't come up with wins in the, in those games, but you know the measuring stick there, what you have to do. And if you, if you combine everybody in the one division, then the, the measuring sticks change, um, depending on who you play. Uh, you may, you may go years without playing one team, but you're going to, you know, you'll have some protected rivalries in there. I mean, I, I like the division set up. I like the clean, you know, coming together for the championship game, but does, has the Big Ten had its two best teams in the championship game during the life of this thing? No. No, they haven't. They they just haven't because, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, they've been consistently the better teams uh, in the league year in and year out. And, uh, and, and so if you try, if the goal is to get the best two teams uh, in the, um, in the conference to play for the championship game, then, um, then getting rid of the divisions is the way to go. And, and that's probably the direction will go. The other issue that will, has been discussed is whether they go back to eight games or play nine games. I have a feeling that they're going to stay at nine, uh, just because they're getting ready to do a new TV deal and TV deal, TV people don't want less big 10 games. They want more. They want more. They're more attractive. Uh, they bring in better ratings. Um, you know, if you if you're going to rely on your schools to pick solid non-conference games, then it's not it's just not going to happen because every 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 program's got a different need in their non-conference. They all approach it differently. Uh, you know, we, you'd love it if everybody played, you know, two power fives and. Um, all that kind of stuff and had much, you know, great attractive matchups week in and week out. But there are some programs that just, they need to win some games and they win some games. And in order to win some games, you got to play an FCS school once in a while. You have to, you know, drop down and, and play uh, lower non power five teams uh, to get some wins and, you know, maybe build some momentum. So, um, but I, 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 I see, I see the big 10 staying at nine, I'd be surprised if it went to eight. Wouldn't be shocked, but I'd be surprised if they went to eight. Uh, again, more attractive TV matchups, uh, and you, you're probably going to get more um, television partners involved uh, this time. So you really can't go around shortchanging them uh, in any way. Um, so I, I would I would expect to stay at nine. I, I to be honest, I wish they could. I wish there was a way to get to ten. I wish they could play 10 conference games. Uh, but with the current setup, it's just, it's not, it doesn't work. The math doesn't, the math just doesn't work. This doesn't add up as far as getting the number of home games you need, um, uh, for, for, for revenue and stuff like that. But I, w- I would love it if they would play, uh, 10, 10 conference games, uh, five home, five, five away. You get out of this five and four type of thing, but, um, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, uh, either. So, um, and there was a, there was a story earlier in the week that the Big Ten probably will know it's kind of its TV arrangement coming up in the next, uh, 
in the next month because uh, the TV rights uh, for the current deal run out, uh, I believe, after uh, 20, after the, uh, I think, after the upcoming season. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I think things that, you know, things that I've seen and, and read, Fox is on board again, which is good. I think uh, the Big Ten and Fox are both happy with the noon kickoff thing that they've they've established there. Um, you know, but there are other suitors involved. CBS, which is losing the SEC. Uh, NBC has tried to get involved. You still have ESPN. Um, and then you've got some other, uh, you know, you'll have some streaming probably opportunities there uh, with, you know, it depends how much those organizations want to pay uh, to stream games um, because that, you know, that will be a huge part of the future. Uh, you know, it's already here in some, some regards, but um, I, I don't think college sports will ever leave like TV, but more and more opportunities um, for streaming are, are going to be there. And there's going to be companies that want to, that want to jump into that and we'll see how much the big 10 gets with that or, you know, do they hold off uh, to the next time? But one of the things I heard, um, um, the interesting part had to do with basketball, um, where TNT uh, potentially could be involved from a basketball standpoint, maybe maybe a football standpoint as well. But the basketball part was um, where potentially, and it, it, I don't know if it will happen or not, but one idea uh, being thrown around was for basketball, you would have a Big Ten game on TNT on a Thursday night at, at 7, which would then... Uh, be followed by an NBA game. Um, so you know that that's that has some appeal to it to the conference. I think uh, trying to to bring in a new audience there um, and, and see how that would how that would stack up uh, from a from a rating standpoint or just an interest standpoint. Uh, that, that was just one idea that was thrown out there. Again, I don't know if it has any. Any merit from a whether it's going to happen right now uh, point of view, but you know you have a, a network like TNT that that broadcasts the NCAA tournament, but everything else they do is basically NBA related. I, I, they're into the hockey; they got into the hockey package this year, but most of it, most when you think of TNT, you think of the NBA, but. You know, they also have the NCAA tournament. So having games during the course of the season, if that's the way that the Big Ten would go, you would think would be beneficial for them just to, from an awareness standpoint. Um, so that, that's kind of interesting. And the other interesting part to me had to do with, um, you know, where does ESPN kind of fit into the Big Ten package? You know, from a football standpoint, because ESPN has has made its ties with the ACC, they've made their ties with the SEC. Uh, is there still room for the Big Ten in primetime spots on ESPN or ABC? And you know, I think ESPN ABC wants to keep the Big Ten in some capacity, but is there enough room there now? I mean. 
ESPN has made its decision as far as where most of their money is going to the SEC and the and the ACC, but you know where does the Big Ten fit and all that? And from a football standpoint, is probably not uh, as big a deal. But when you get into basketball and ESPN has so many hours to fill, and there's so many basketball games that it would be it'd be interesting to see uh, if the basketball package would stay the same. Uh, you would you would hope that ESPN would make a play for that because they they built their uh, Big Mondays and Super Tuesdays on the back of the Big Ten and and other conferences. But the Big Ten was there early on in doing those. Uh, doing those names, doing those, you know, marquee names, you know, those catchy names on Monday and Tuesday, uh, to, to bring people in. So, um, and is there, and if, and if somehow ESPN was not involved, which I would, I'd be a little bit surprised by that because if you notice, or if you did notice when hockey was not on ESPN, ESPN didn't talk about hockey. Now that hockey's back on ESPN, ESPN talks about hockey. Well, that's just the way it goes. So if the Big Ten's not involved in, e- in ESPN or ABC, do they not talk about the Big Ten? You know, you still want to be in that conversation. So I would expect ESPN and ABC to be involved in some capacity, unless there are just deals out there that are that are just, you know, the money the money says here's what you need to do. And it'll be driven by money. Always these things are driven by money. Money, you know it. That's the way these things operate. Um, you know, they'll tell you otherwise, but it's driven by cold, hard cash and what they're willing to pay and uh, all that kind of stuff. What I would like to see, and I don't know if it will happen, is you have your Fox game, football game on at noon. Then I would like to see the Big Ten partner up with CBS uh, for that 3.30 game on Saturdays. You know, Fox would have your number one football game most weeks, and then CBS would have basically your number two game every week. So you would you would you would have Big Ten football on two premier networks from noon to seven. You know, virtually every Saturday. You know, CBS built the SEC with that three thirty time slot over time, and for them, they don't want that to go away. So they need to have some sort of college football element there to keep keep people interested, keep themselves into the game. And some of this is also lining up as you as we get to an expansion of the college football playoff. And they do need to get more networks involved that you know CBS and NBC and TNT and ESPN and all those all those and Fox even you know showing that you're going to broadcast games during the regular season I think should help you once you once they open up the bidding for the college football. I mean look look at the NFL, prime example. The the Super Bowl rotates around on different networks and why is that? Because they all do regular season NFL football. You know, it's part of the deal. So that's one thing I hope as we get deeper over the next several years is that the college football playoff opens up to to more networks, and this could this could lay the groundwork for some of that as uh, as we move on. Move on. Uh, wanted to touch on basketball. You know, of course, Purdue still looking for a point guard uh, transfer uh, after you know Nigel Pack you know uh, went to Miami and struck his own NIL deal 
uh, or pay for play deal, if that's what you want to call it. Um, so Purdue's been on the hunt. It's been quiet. You know, I think Purdue's kind of just seeing who's available and who fits, uh, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, as you know, Tyrese Hunter from Iowa State came in for a visit a couple weeks ago. Um, he's also looking at other, uh, schools uh, as well. I believe this weekend, uh, he's visiting Gonzaga. Uh, I think Tennessee remains, uh, in the mix. Uh, un- unclear whether Kansas is still a player in this. Uh, I don't think Louisville is anymore. Uh, but, um, you know, obviously he would be, uh, a prime target for Purdue and, you know, uh, in trying to, to bring somebody into that position. Uh, but, you know, we'll wait and see. I, I don't, as of now, I don't think his decision is centered around, uh, an NIL deal, but, you know, those things can change once figures start getting thrown around. So nothing should surprise you anymore. You know, you would hope that these athletes and their families are picking schools for the right reason, but you can't deny them for picking a school. If if someone's going to pay you $800,000 over two years and give you the use of a car for in exchange for whatever you have to do for, you know, John Ruiz's company, I mean, it's, it's hard to say no to that. I mean, it just is. I mean, would you, would you say no to that? I mean, you could say that you wouldn't, but you know, that's, that's hard to say no to. It, it just really is that someone wants to pay you that amount of money to play whatever the dollar figure is. Someone wants to pay you basically to come play at their program. And that's why it's pay for play. That's what it is. It's an inducement. There's, there's just no, there's no hiding it. And that's what it is. So if Purdue gets caught in this situation again, what are they going to do? They technically don't have a collective right now, which collective is kind of a group of people that have put money into a, a pool, so to speak, to, to distribute to, 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 to recruits and, uh, current athletes. Um, I mean, Purdue is working toward that, but what shape, what form, what size it takes on, who knows. Um, you know, Purdue's trying to do it in their mind the right way. Um, you know, they don't want to be seen and known as, you know, doing pay for play. Uh, but you know, at the end, it's all basically pay for play. Uh, however you want to term it, phrase it, you know, it's, it's all kind of pay for play. So Tyrese Hunter is still, uh, an option for, for Purdue. How, how close he is to a decision, no idea. Um, you know, you know, we're, we're probably roughly, um, you know, a little bit more than a month away from summer school starting where you want to know what your roster is going to look like. And, you know, Purdue is still trying to fill this hole. So they don't, they don't know exactly what their roster is going to be. I mean, it's virtually done, but they still are trying to add somebody there to kind of round out their roster. So you, you know, they've gone this far into it, not knowing exactly what the final piece of their roster is, is going to look at. A couple other names that have kind of, that, that have surfaced here, uh, recently, um, that have some Purdue interest. Courtney Ramey from Texas, 
is is in the mix. Um, how deep he's in the mix, you know, it's kind of unclear right now. I think he has some NBA aspirations and uh, trying to get some workouts to see where things stand in that area. Uh, so that a lot of that will be contingent on on that. Um, what happens there? Um, so, you know, that's just another name that, that that's kind of out there and could be could be connected to Purdue in some fashion. Uh, which you know, he's a he's a really good player. Um, uh, and you know, obviously played against Purdue in the NCAA tournament. Um, but uh, but again, does it does it come back to uh, NIL, let's come back to all that stuff. And, you know, I just, at right now, right now, you know, I don't think Purdue's going to get in a bidding war with a lot of, a lot of schools. And if that's the way it's going to go, I don't think Purdue's going to be involved in things like that. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here. I'm just, these things now are part of the discussion and how quickly, you know, I'm curious, like when you have a recruiting call with either a transfer or a recruit from the 20, 23 or 2024 or 2025 class, how quickly does the subject of NIL come up? You know, I mean, does, is it the first question? Is it the last question? You know, I, you have to think it comes up at some point. You know, how quickly it comes up in the conversation is probably tells you a lot about where the mindset is of the people that you're recruiting. And there'll be several players and their families that are out for a money grab and that's probably not how Purdue's going to to operate so Courtney Ramey is a name to look out for Uh, another name to keep track of uh, as a possibility is Malachi Smith uh, Southern Conference Player of the Year uh, from Chattanooga now he is he is involved in the NBA process I think he is doing some workouts for some teams. I think he will probably get invited to the combine. Uh, so, you know, if Purdue's going to get involved, uh, with him, then, you know, it's going to be a little bit down the road here. Um, but another talented guy that would probably fit with, uh, you know, what Purdue wants. But again, you know, you're, Purdue would be waiting on him a little bit to get through his process and he, he may end up you know, declaring for the NBA for real and, you know, and all that's done. So, um, so Purdue, you know, Purdue does have some options, but they also, you know, you're, you're at the mercy of, of, of these players' decisions and what they want out of the deal and all that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it's not like, you know, just, it's just remarkable how, how, how much things have changed in a year, uh, in, in this process and, um, but anyway, you know, Purdue's going to get a point guard out of the portal at some point. It's just a matter of who that who that player is. And, um, you know, everyone thought it would be Nigel Pack at the beginning, but that didn't work out. And, you know, and obviously the other the other person involved is Eric Hunter Jr., uh, who wasn't going to come back for another year, but has decided he decided to enter the portal. He also declared for the NBA draft, but he entered the portal. You know, I think he's got some interest from some schools. Um, but, you know, is he still an option for Purdue if they get through these other guys and they don't, you know, they can't get one of them? Does he become an option for Purdue? You know, I, I don't know. I think when this process started, 
you know, I think he, he he was still an option for Purdue. I'm not sure that that's the case anymore. Um, you know, I think that, you know, Eric's probably going to land somewhere else uh, when this is all said and done, probably somewhere in the state of Indiana, um, and, you know, play his final season uh, there. But um, I, I don't think that'll be Purdue. You know, one time I, you know, I thought that would probably be Purdue's best option after you get past Nigel Pack. Uh, but I, I just, you know, I, I don't, I don't get the sense anymore that that's going to be the case. And, um, it's probably best for both, both parties. Uh, if they, you know, they go, they move on a little bit, but, um, you know, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't completely throw him off the list, but, I'd move him down a little bit right now just to, as, as Purdue kind of maneuvers the rest of the, um, rest of this. And there's a, there's a time element to some of this stuff because there's a dead week coming up where there's no visits, no recruiting, no nothing, uh, where they have to shut down. The coaches and the programs have to shut down. They can't have any contact, can't have any visits. So Purdue, uh, you know, over the next couple of weeks may be trying to line up a visit or two from somebody. Uh, to get them in to uh, to see if they are a good fit. Um, so, um, you know, we'll see. This probably is shaping up to be a um, not a last-minute, last-ditch situation, but it's probably, obviously it's going longer than Purdue wants it to go, but you're probably looking at the end of the month, maybe at the earliest, unless – you know, somebody like Tyrese Hunter, you know, has visited everywhere and just feels like, okay, you know, produce the right place for me. Um, probably unlikely to happen, but something could pop in that area. Um, and, uh, and I think he would probably be the one right now that would, that, that, that it would pop. Maybe if Purdue was able to get Courtney Ramey on a visit, um, Things might pop in that direction, but, you know, other schools are, are looking at him as well. And um, so this is still going to take some time. Um, it was, as I said, it was set up to be a quick process at the beginning, but, you know, things changed. Uh, things went off the rails, and we have the situation that we have <laughs> across college athletics right now. Uh, also, just on a non-Purdue um, moment here, uh, Kentucky Derby is coming up on Saturday. Uh, I don't know if the track will be muddy, wet. It's going to rain the next few days in Louisville, so there's always the the, the possibility of of a of a wet track for the Derby, but they do. A, Really good job if they can get some daylight and some sunshine of drying that thing out. Uh, so it may, it may be wet for some races, uh, but it may be dried toward later in the day. But regardless, um, I'll give you some, some, uh, some picks that I'm considering right now. Haven't really landed on, uh, the horses for sure, but here's, here's a few that are in my discussion box. As of, as of Wednesday, uh, Messier, he's number six, or he's currently eight to one 
and I like the price, but uh, I don't know if the West Coast horses are as talented as they've been in the past. Now, you don't have Bob Baffert training this year because of the suspension, but some of these horses are Bob Baffert's horses. They're just being trained by somebody else. So you can deduce it however you want. Just bottom line is there's cheating everywhere in sports. It doesn't matter what the sport is. There's there's actual cheating and breaking of rules in every sport. Just there just is. Anyway, Zandon uh, is Zandon is Z A N D O N. He's number ten. He is the morning line favorite at three to one. Uh, he's a very talented horse, but he he comes from. Back in the pack, or he's run his races so far have come from back in the pack. And when you're in a ten horse field, that's okay. But when you're in a twenty horse field, you got a lot of you got a lot of you got a lot of horses to get around, and you don't have a lot of time to do it. And if it's a muddy track, that could add problems. Um, you know, those that are familiar with horse racing understand this term. It's it's really about the trip, and you can get bottled up. You can get uh, pin down on the rail. You might have to go wide. You might have, you know, there's just so many things. I mean, it's, it's really all about the trip and who can navigate the best trip. And that price is too short for me to, to say, okay, Zandon, I'd bet him to win. Now, I, I think the favorite in this race is probably going to be around four to one. I think these odds are going to, going to creep up a little bit because there's, there's no, as of right now, there's no one has shown that they are the superstar of the group. There's no American Pharaoh type of thing or justified, um, or for that matter, secretariat. And there will never be another secretariat. Uh, so I think, I think the favorite will probably be hanging around four to one. Now, if Zandon drifts up four to one, five to one, maybe six to one, which I, I don't think he'll get, um, you know, he's probably, he, he could be worth a bet at that price, but it, Right now at the morning line, three to one. Now, Modangle, um, his drawback is he's coming out of the one hole, and the last winner of the Derby to come out of the one hole was probably thirty-five years ago, I think. Uh, doesn't mean he can't get a piece; he can't finish second or third. But that's always that's always been a rough trip. But they they have a new starting gate there now, so you're not as pinned down on the rail as you once were. So at some point that trend is going to go away because somebody's going to win from the one hole or the one gate and he's 10 to one. So he offers pretty good value. Uh, so, you know, he's somebody that, 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 that I would consider to put in uh, not only to possibly win, but you know, when you start talking about playing exactas, which is the top two or trifectas, the top three or superfectas, which is the, the top four, you know, he's going to be a double digit price most likely. And, you know, that can, that obviously adds some value to, to your ticket and to how you're betting the race. Epicenter, uh, is seven to two right now. He's probably going to challenge, uh, a little bit for the favorite status as we get to Saturday. Uh, really solid horse. Um, has, uh, you know, a lot of, has the right running style possibly to, to win the Derby. Um, you know, coming from far back, isn't the preferred running style. You want to be close. You don't want to be at the, you don't, you don't want to be first. Although uh, the horse that won last year was, was basically had his nose in front most of the way. Um, 
but you just you, you just want to be kind of off the pace and put yourself in a position to to navigate through some horses to to find that closing kick. Uh, a couple long shots like twenty to one, thirty to one, maybe to keep an eye on. Smile happy. Uh, right now he's twenty to one on the morning line. He probably will not be any lower than that. He'll probably be higher than that. Tis the bomb is thirty to one. Uh, he's worth throwing in there uh, to get a piece and maybe inflate the the trifecta or the superfecta. Uh, and then one other horse, uh, charge it. Um, he, he'll probably be a bit of a buzz horse when we get to Saturday. A wise guy horse. You know, the horse that kind of people talk about and, um, you know, has that, you know, people whisper about it because they don't want other people to know. So he, he, he's 20 to 1 right now. His odds may drop a little bit because I, I have a feeling he's going to be the buzz, the buzz horse of the backstretch, so to speak. And um, his price may come down a little bit. I, I don't think he can win. Um, he would not be a win selection for me, but, uh, he can get, he, he's, he's good enough to potentially get a, get a piece of this thing. Uh, but anyway, just wanted to throw that out there. It's my podcast. I can kind of talk about whatever I want. I know it's not Purdue related, but, um, that's just the way it goes. Appreciate you stopping by. Uh, have a, have a good day. Have a good week. If you're into the Derby, have a good Derby. If you're into the Oaks, have a good Oaks. Uh, speaking of the Oaks, long shot for you to look at. Nostalgia, uh, worth, worth, uh, including on some of your tickets. You think he's 15 to one, or she, she is 15 to one right now on the morning line. We'll see if that sticks. Uh, but that's, that's just one to, to keep in mind if, uh, if you're interested. But if they run up the track in their last, you know, we all have opinions on it. Not everybody's right. Anyway, have a good day. Uh, appreciate you stopping by. And if you're into the Oaks and the Derby, good luck. Win some money. Have fun. If you're going or just watching, uh, it's, it's one of America's greatest sporting events. Uh, and again, appreciate you stopping by and have a good day.